and we welcome you to the morning show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. Today is Nan Calvert's monthly visit to the morning show, and uh, we're really happy that we can have her along with uh, her colleague from uh, Root Pike Wynn, uh, Dave Giordano, and a very special guest who joins us from the Wisconsin DNR, Joshua Brown. And we welcome everybody. Nan, I want you to say a quick word about your connection with Joshua Brown and what prompted you to issue this invitation to him. Uh, my connection is that I've just met Josh via the interwebs. <laughs> um, and the reason I wanted to have Josh join us uh, is just because uh, I've been thinking a lot about wetlands lately, driving around, you know, looking at the very late summer, early fall vegetation and thinking just about how we cannot live without wetlands. And of course, uh, development happens. And so what do we do when wetlands are lost? How is that fixed? And so uh, there is a portion of the DNR that I think a lot of people don't know about. And Josh uh, is here representing that for us today to talk about what he does and why he does it and how it works. We're gonna be talking a, a bit about wetlands mitigation, uh, which I think sometimes um, is, is not terribly well understood. Uh, and so that's, that's why I wanted Josh to come on today. Very good. And we're going to welcome Josh in just a second. Dave Giordano, you're joining us. And I wonder if you could just say a quick word about or explain to, the, to our listeners the connection between an organization like Root Pike Wynn, of which you are the director, and this issue of wetlands. How, how does the, the concern and issue of wetlands fold into the overall mission of Root Pike Wind? Well, as Nan mentioned, wetlands are extremely important to uh, our landscape, our water management, and certainly the, the habitats of, of uh, you know, our, our ecosystem residents. The Pike River Plan that was done in 2014 um, said that about 90% of our wetlands in the Pike River Basin are gone or altered. If a, uh, an acre of wetland about a foot deep holds 300,000 gallons of water and 90% of our wetlands are gone or altered, uh, it's no wonder we have flooding issues. Um, I, I have a theory too that our lake levels are related to the, our lack of wetlands uh, where that water is no longer being stored land but just being conveyed quickly off into Lake Michigan so um, wetlands are extremely important and I, I, I never really understood the, the importance of wetlands until I took this job at, at uh, Root Pike Wynn um, but you know sometimes they've gotten a bad name because yeah they've they're you know when you're doing a development and you have wetlands on your development um, you know that has sort of gotten a bad name. Wetlands have gotten a bad name because of that. Well, wetlands also serve a very important infrastructure need, as I mentioned earlier. They hold a lot of flood water. So um, the two are really tied together. And I think uh, the DNR and other private firms have done a good job at trying to find a win-win with regard to what to do with wetlands and what happens when they're impacted. Very good. And that uh, segues nicely into uh, 
this moment in which we introduce Joshua Brown from the Wisconsin DNR, who has a very direct hand in some of what the DNR does uh, with wetland restoration, and, and in particular with some projects that are happening right here in southeastern Wisconsin. First, Joshua Brown, we welcome you to the morning show. It's great to have you join us. Uh, yes, thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. Uh, before we uh, get into this topic, uh, let's just learn a little bit about you since I believe this is your first visit to the morning show. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you come from originally and a little bit about uh, how, how your own life has uh, led you into this, uh, this particular field. Sure. Um, I'm from central Illinois originally, about three hours south of Chicago. And part of growing up there, um, I never lived on a farm myself, but a lot of my family uh, grew up on a, or was on a um, small grain farm in Western Indiana. So I say, you know, my connection to that farm was the, my introduction to kind of the natural world and the environment. Uh, so I grew up, you know, doing the usual things, uh, being outside a lot, fishing, that sort of thing. Um, I'm a pretty big bird watcher and have been for a long time. So that was also one of my first introductions into environmental stuff. Um, and then once I got to college, I discovered this major called environmental science, uh, which I just loved, you know, it's exactly what I wanted to learn about. Wasn't quite sure how I was going to make it a profession or a career, uh, but really enjoyed, um, you know, all the different environmental topics we got to cover. And then, um, I guess after college, I traveled around for several years, uh, working seasonal jobs for mostly the National Park Service. Uh, doing a lot of work with invasive species, uh, both here in the Midwest and also in the Western U.S. And then I uh, knew that I was going to need uh, or should have a master's degree uh, to help myself professionally. And that's what brought me to uh, Wisconsin, uh, Madison specifically. And uh, I started at the uh, UW in a master's program called Water Resources Management in 2006. And that's where I kind of uh, just became most interested specifically in wetlands and um, all the things that they provide, as uh, Dave and Nan uh, just mentioned. Um, and then after my master's uh, program, I started working with uh, an environmental consultant doing a variety of things with wetlands, uh, mainly wetland delineation, which is the mapping of wetlands, determining where the boundaries of wetlands are, and you know, a lot of other things, plant surveys, uh, wetland restoration. So planting, wetland plants, uh, spraying weeds, uh, that sort of thing. And then uh, since then, I have been at the Wisconsin DNR uh, for seven years. My first job there, I did uh, wetland permitting uh, for large utility projects uh, across the state. And then uh, most recently here, my most recent position doing wetland mitigation, um, which I've done for about the past, uh, going on four years. So that's the the, the quick and dirty there. <laughs> and you were saying that you are a coordinator of a program which is known as ILF, in lieu fee. Uh, explain what this program uh, is, is all about specifically in that kind of intriguing title, which is probably important for the public to know. Sure. Uh, first, I must say that wetland mitigation is a I think most everyone agrees it's a complicated thing. So I will do my best here to uh, explain it uh, briefly and uh, simply as possible. Um, specifically to the term ILF, um, in Wisconsin, there are a couple different ways 
you can mitigate for wetland impacts. And so first, as far as what mitigation means, um, in a sense, we're trying to put wetlands back after they have been um, filled or impacted in some form or another. An example I always give like, is let's say a hospital is located um, in an urban area and the only undeveloped space uh, adjacent to it is a wetland. And so if that, if that hospital needs to expand, uh, they must first you know, prove that they have no other uh, place to go and then that their impacts um, you know, aren't significant or adverse, meaning perhaps the wetland that's there is already degraded to some extent. And then um, if they can prove those things, uh, then uh, the department, the DNR, uh, can issue them a wetland permit. And, but depending on the size of that wetland that they need to fill, uh, they may need to uh, complete wetland mitigation. And typically in Wisconsin, uh, wetland mitigation consists of buying mitigation credits. And I'm sorry for this long-winded answer, but this will get us back to Inmufi here eventually. Um, and so they, they'll need to buy mitigation credits uh, in order to receive their permit. And um, there are two main types of mitigation credits they can buy. One is a uh, private bank credit, uh, which comes from a mitigation bank, and the other is an uh, in-lieu fee credit. And first, uh, to briefly describe what a mitigation bank is, is in short, an area of wetland restoration. Uh, can be owned by a municipality, uh, a private citizen, private entity, more or less anyone. And um, this mitigation bank, it must first be identified, um, approved, and then restored. And once those, once the site, that mitigation bank has been restored, um, then they're allowed to sell mitigation credits, which I previously mentioned. And in short, what a credit is, is an acre of wetland restoration. Um, so it's just, it's mitigation's form of currency. And so when let's say the, the hospital had to fill wetland, they had to buy a certain number of credits based on the size of the wetland they impacted. And uh, then these mitigation banks um, are allowed to sell these credits um, to mitigate for those wetland impacts. So these, so these, these credits then, in a sense, cover the cost of the mitigation. Exactly. Yes. Um, a private bank, uh, private banks are allowed to profit off of selling these credits. Uh, whereas my program, because it's state run, we're not allowed to profit. Um, and so, but yes, in short, uh, the amount or the amount of money that these credits cost is meant to cover the restoration. Uh, so I just mentioned these private mitigation banks, and that brings me back to in lieu fee. And the other option in Wisconsin to from wetland mitigation is my uh, in lieu fee program. And the word in lieu fee comes from, you know, uh, let's say the hospital buying credits from my program in lieu of buying them from these private banks, which I was just mentioning. Um, no one can make these private banks um, um, start up. And so, you know, not all parts of the state um, have these banks available. So that's um, in cases like that, um, that is when my program comes in and we sell our credits in lieu of uh, these private bank credits being available. So do you have a direct hand in the actual mitigation 
or are you more involved in that part of the process in which, in, in effect, money exchanges hands and, and arrangements are made for the cost of mitigation to be covered? Uh, I would say, say both, yes. Um, we're directly involved in the sense that first we do sell the credits um, to developers, and then with the funds resulting from those credit sales, we have to find and implement um, the ILF wetland mitigation projects. Um, and when I say, you know, find and implement, we are, we do contract out most all of the work uh, to environmental consultants. And, um, and so, you know, we aren't, uh, DNR employees aren't actually out there, you know, um, restoring the wetlands ourselves, but we are responsible for overseeing the projects, uh, getting all approvals, that sort of thing. Right. Um, I think it would be good to hear from you, and uh, I hope Nan and Dave will, will chime in if they, if they like, uh, if you can explain what sort of happens in wetland mitigation. I mean, how is a, are we, are we, first of all, are we talking about a, a wetland that exists but is damaged that gets restored, or are we talking about creating a, a new wetland where one does not at the moment exist so we can continue to have the, roughly the same amount of wetland? I mean, uh, is, is it uh, neither of those, both of those, uh, a little of each, uh, when we're talking about wetland mitigation? Sure. I think um, it's, it's been shown that uh, restored wetlands, meaning uh, putting back a wetland where it used to be but currently isn't, uh, provides more of those ecosystem functions. So flood abatement, water quality improvement, and wildlife habitat. Um, these, quote, restored wetlands provide more of those services than, um, quote, a created wetland, meaning putting a wetland where there never was one. And um, in short, to try and find out where those uh, restored wetland opportunities are, where those uh, areas on the landscape that used to be wetlands that currently aren't, you have to look at soils and, and drainage. And in, in Wisconsin, uh, especially Southern Wisconsin, um, a lot of uh, you know, previous wetlands that were around you know, pre-European settlement were drained, of course, uh, for farming. And so um, our ideal mitigation sites, we're trying to restore these wetlands where they used to be, are on um, existing farmland that has either been ditched or tile drained. And, um, so when we're out looking um, anywhere, that's, that's the first place we go to. And it's, again, because first they're easier to restore. You know, it's easier to put a wetland back where there used to be one than trying to put one where there never was one. And then second, um, that restored wetland will most likely provide, you know, um, maximum uh, function to uh, help and improve the watershed. Anything Nan and Dave uh, want to add to that description? Not from my end, no. Yeah, I, I would just like to add, you know, it's um, the, to be able to find and restore a wetland in our watershed is, is more and more difficult. And especially since we have development in the area where you're getting, where farmers are getting um, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for their, their non-floodplain farmland. Um, it's just, it's very difficult. And, you know, the, 
the way our system is set up is they have every right to sell their land and develop it and and um you know so we're not necessarily against that but we're you know we try to help municipalities and developers look at those situations where wetlands can be restored and and how that wetland restoration has a bigger impact on the community not just on that particular parcel and so when these wetland mitigation projects are put in place they're not they're not just about um, satisfying a credit need but they also create these places where uh, people want to be because these ILF sites um, need to be public as part of the agreement so um, there's there's certainly a, a flood abatement upside and a habitat upside but there's also a community brand upside in that you now have these special places where like i said earlier and i think some people get tired of me saying it but we only have about 10 percent of our wetlands left and so we're really really concerned about the, that 10 percent. we don't want to slip anymore uh, and if we can find opportunities to bring uh, more of the wetlands back without um, you know significantly hampering um development which we know is going to continue to occur you know again that's that for us is um the win-win we've been talking about for those of you just joining us so this is nan calvert's monthly visit to the morning show and with her is her colleague from loot pike wind dave giordano and our special guest is joshua brown who is the ilf of program coordinator for uh, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources. So he has a very direct hand uh, in uh, the DNR's uh, wetland restoration projects around the state, uh, including one uh, right here in uh, southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, it's my recollection, I'm not sure who uh, is best to answer this, but it's my recollection that when it comes to uh, the matter of Foxconn and its development here in southeastern Wisconsin, that part of the agreement that was brokered is that for every acre of wetland that is lost to the Foxconn development, two acres of wetland must be uh, created. Am I am I remembering that correctly? Yes, yes. That, that is correct. Mm -hmm. So uh, some of the uh, projects that we're talking about today then uh, do those fold into that equation? Are we talking about wetland restoration that is uh, specifically designed in part to uh, create that two for one uh, wetland ratio that uh, is part of this agreement? Uh, yes, we are. Um, specifically, we mentioned the, the Meacham Road project. Um, and um, quickly, a little background about Meacham Road and then um, impacts or credits resulting from Foxconn. Um, Meacham Road, so Meacham Road is our ILF project, which is located um, in the uh, Pike watershed uh, in southern Racine County. And, you know, watersheds, the scale of watersheds can vary. So you can have a very, very small watershed, um, say the Pike or the Root, or a larger watershed like the entire Lake Michigan Basin. And mitigation in Wisconsin is divided up into uh, 12 different watersheds. Um, so uh, down by you guys in Racine County, it is called the Southwest Lake Michigan watershed. Um, that includes roughly 
um, you know, the Pike route in the southern half of the watershed and the Milwaukee River watershed in the north. So it extends um, from the state line uh, down in southeast Kenosha County all the way up um, into in southern Fond du Lac and Sheboygan counties. And the intent of this, uh, this watershed division is to keep wetland mitigation in the same watershed uh, where the impacts occurred. And that is important for some of those uh, ecosystem services and even, you know, public benefit, which Dave mentioned, you know, we want to keep, um, you know, our wetland restoration in similar areas uh, to where those wetland impacts um, occurred. So that's, I think, an important point. And then, so specifically to uh, the Foxconn Development Project, Foxconn itself is in an interesting location um, because it straddles two different watersheds. Uh, the eastern half of the project is located in the, um, I believe it's the Pike. Um, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and no, you're right on. In its eastern half, so you know, water from that eastern half of Foxconn uh, flows east into the Pike River and then Lake Michigan, but the western half of the project uh, flows west and south. Uh, first into the Des Plaines River, uh, then I believe it's the Fox in Illinois, and ultimately uh, the Illinois River. Um, and so, because of that, you know, we wanted to make sure that we separated out. Uh, the wetland impacts for that project accordingly. Uh, the, again, the, the Lake Michigan impacts, um, that mitigation stayed in the, in the Pike or in you know, Lake Michigan Basin. And then the um, impacts uh, to the West and the Des Plaines, you know, stayed, um, the mitigation stayed in, in that watershed. And so, you know, today specifically, we're talking more about um, Pike and the route. Uh, so, Yes, the Foxconn uh, development project did require wetland mitigation um, in the Pike watershed. I believe it was 19 credits they had to purchase. And just to clarify, uh, I don't want to get into semantics too much, but um, it's one acre of impact uh, requires two mitigation credits. And again, a credit's approximately an acre, um, but just, uh, just to hopefully uh, clarify a little. And so, you know, from the eastern half, the Foxconn project uh, resulted in um, 19 credits that needed to be purchased uh, to fulfill their wetland mitigation uh, requirements. And then, you know, so my program, we sold them those credits. And then um, in conjunction with many other credit sales in the watershed, so from everywhere, again, from southern uh, Kenosha County all the way up to Fond du Lac and Sheboygan, um, any mitigation credits uh, that were purchased are, are pooled together and then we take the funds and look for a mitigation site and um, also as Dave mentioned it's just it's very important for location so in general I'm going to keep the, the mitigation at, you know in the same watershed is where the impacts occurred but also we want to prioritize you know where in the watershed can we get the um, most bang for our buck so to speak you know where are oh. the greatest um, restoration opportunities you know where can we imp improve um, flood control the most, where can we um, improve water quality the most, um, um, that sort of thing. So those are the, I guess, general criteria we're looking for. We're looking for these projects. And uh, that brought us uh, to the Meacham Road site um, in, in um, southern Racine County, as I said, uh, across the street from Sanders Park, if you are familiar with that, um, that park. And that site was uh, for sale. And it fit the criteria I mentioned earlier. It was uh, drained, it was tiled 
wetland soils that was currently farmed. And um, so luckily we were able to, um, you know, secure the property and uh, currently working on the, the mitigation project. Well, yeah. if I could just, just add something to that as well as the, you know, um, about the Foxconn development, a lot of the, the wetland impacts or the, the wetlands that needed to be mitigated were, um, you know, they were delineated and, and indicated, but they weren't, a, a lot of those wetlands weren't high quality wetlands. In fact, most of the, the, the impact areas were essentially being farmed. So, which um, farmers have every right to do that. It's just the, the upside with going from um, wetland that is being farmed to the highest standard of wetland restoration, that lift as I think the, the DNR and other people call it, is huge. So it's not like we're getting, we lost, you know, 19 acres of high quality wetland in one place and now we're gonna, um, now we're gonna replace it with 38 acres of amazing uh, wetland. We, we had wetland that was just being farmed. It was very low, low quality because it wasn't restored. It wasn't like it was originally before it was farmed. So the upside in these mitigation projects is significant. In terms of really taking it and making it what it once was or what it was sort of meant to be. Exactly. Right. So Joshua Brown, explain how this land was procured. I mean, did the Wisconsin DNR buy this land from a farmer who owned it or otherwise, I mean, who owned this land? How did it become part of this? Yeah, a good question. Um, for this project in particular, and many of our projects, you know, we do um, the same things that anyone who's looking for, <laughs> for land or a house does. Uh, we would just check the uh, for sale websites online. Um, this project, this parcel, I believe had been for sale and was sold. Uh, but then, um, that's, I think maybe the, the new owner uh, put it up for sale again. And anyway, first we identified it. We saw um, via the aerial photos that there were drain tile present. So we thought it was a good candidate for a mitigation site. Um, but uh, to your question, it's a good one. Um, you know, it's, it's not always easy to find landowners to own these mitigation sites. And that is our, that's uh, been, um, you know, a difficulty for us uh, sometimes. Um, but in some instances, uh, environmental consultants, uh, so uh, the companies who have the expertise and experience to implement these mitigation projects, they're also uh, willing to own them. And uh, the MU fee program, you know, paid this consultant, it's called KCI, uh, they're located in La Crosse, uh, we paid them to own the property. And but they're willing to do that so that they can, uh, um, you know, are also then, um, can be paid for, you'll get the contract to implement the wetland uh, mitigation project also. So that's the short of how we found it. Um, but we also work in the rest of the state, I just wanna add, you know, we, we work with um, land trusts, uh, municipalities. We have two different projects with municipalities, uh, private citizens, and we do some projects on uh, DNR owned property also. So, if we were to drive down Meacham Road right now, uh, adjacent to Sanders Park, 
would we see any evidence of this work already being done? And if so, what? Um, I do not think so. I hesitate because I think work is going to start um, very soon. I think what you'd see now is just like an abandoned farm field. Mm. Uh, I don't think it was farm this year. Um, but then, you know, the work that is going to start very shortly will be, I think first they're going to mow it, for example, but then they'll also put up, uh, I don't know if you're f familiar with silt fencing, you know, erosion control. Uh, they'll put this black knee high fencing around uh, the site um, because it will be exposed soil. So you just want to make sure that uh, no soil runs off, but no, um, you could, you could not really tell, tell very little right now that it's going to be a, a, a wetland. Right. I, I wanted to get that clarification uh, for our listeners and for myself, because if one drives down Wood Road, which is kind of on the other side of Sanders Park to the west, uh, there's an uh, empty plot of land and there's all kinds of stuff being done right now with huge piping and so on. And I don't know what that is about, but I don't want people to make the same kind of assumption that I did that 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 has something to do with this uh, wetland restoration project. That is something else going on. And one needs to be on Meacham Road in, in order to see this plot of land that we're talking about. Gotcha. And thank, thank you for the clarification. And we're, uh, we're on the east side of Meacham also, but yes. Right. So once, uh, once these preliminary things are, are done that you just mentioned, then uh, what, is the, what is the work that happens from that point? Uh, in order to restore this plot of land in, into a proper wetland? What physically needs to be done? Yeah, um, what will happen this fall um, after that silt fence is installed is first uh, the drain tile, uh, this underground, you know, I think in this case it's plastic, um, corrugated, perforated uh, pipe will be disabled and cut. And so Drain tile is, I think, a pretty crazy thing, in my opinion, but water will collect in these uh, underground pipes and then flow off the site uh, quicker. And, you know, one advantage of wetlands is, you know, you get rid of that um, enhanced drainage and water will sit on the site longer. Uh, but first, the drain tile will be cut, so be pulled out in uh, sections and uh, removed. In other parts, it will be uh, just cut and disabled underground, and that will... Um, be the first step in restoring the hydrology. And then next, um, later this winter, uh, the site will be seeded. Um, so a variety of uh, native wetland species will be seeded across um, the site, just, you know, being broadcast uh, from behind a tractor, most likely. Um, and then the following spring in 2021, uh, part of the site will be a uh, wet shrub wetland. And so some little shrub seedlings will be planted. So that's, that's the short of it. And then um, over the next five uh, years, um, then there's lots of maintenance and monitoring that will occur. Um, so a big component of these projects is to keep out invasive species. And so there'll be a lot of invasive species treatment. Um, and the site also has to be monitored to meet some pretty uh, rigorous performance standards. And so um, there are already some monitoring wells, which are vertical PVC pipes, um, which is monitoring the groundwater. Those will continue to be monitored. And then the vegetation will also um, be monitored for, for several years. Very good. So Nan Calvert, uh, just give us a, a, a brief idea of the kind of choices that one would make in terms of what to plant in a wetland restoration project like this. I mean, and the, the, the significance of those kind of choices. So 
there are literally uh, probably over a hundred different species from which we could pick of flowering plants or forbs, grasses, sedges, and then as Josh mentioned, there are going to be some woody species planted in there as well, which are, are really important for all different kinds of wildlife. Um, and so what, one thing that I would like to say to our listening audience is whenever you are establishing or reestablishing a native landscape, uh, you have to keep in mind the following thing. First, they sleep, then they creep, and then they leap. So in the first three years, unless you're using plant plugs or you're using small shrubby species, um, you're not going to notice a whole lot in the first year. You're going to notice more in the second year, but then by the third year, you're going to see a lot of things happening in that uh, reestablished native planting. And then of course, the key to survival, as Josh says, is really good maintenance. Being certain you're paying attention to any of the non-native invasive species that are trying to get themselves reestablished uh, and getting rid of those so that you can uh, support the establishment and growth of the native species. What's really cool about this though is that it um, is in concert or in harmony with many of the things that Root Pike Watershed Initiative is doing to help bring back the rusty patched bumblebee, which is one of our many, many native pollinators. But of course the rusty patched bumblebee uh, has declined by 87% over the last few years because of habitat destruction. And many of the plants uh, that this particular uh, native pollinator likes happen to occur in a wetland. So this will not only help mitigate floods uh, and restore hydrology to the area, but it will also be helping to support our native pollinators. So this has so many benefits to it uh, that will be reaped for many, many, many years. Very good. Gabe, do you have anything to add to that? Um, the only thing I would add is that, you know, the difference between um, corn or soybeans or other cash crops and native plants is really the root structures. And because, you know, corn doesn't go that deep and soybeans, um, the root structures of these native plants allow for a lot of um, absorption and groundwater infiltration. And so again, there's that lift with going to a restored wetland, um, you know, from farmland that's just being uh, uh, used for cash crops. The, the root structures alone create this amazing um, groundwater infiltration system that, uh, you know, by natural standards is perfect. Hmm. So, uh, so, uh, once this is done, this restoration project is done, uh, Joshua Brown, uh, how close will the public be able to get to this wetland to, in a sense, see it up close and to some extent even enjoy it, enjoy its beauty? Yes, uh, they'll be able to get as <laughs> close as they want. Um, all of our sites are required on uh, state law to be um, open to the public and, um, you know, it's important to note that can be honestly a, a kind of an issue when a project is first getting started, when it's first being restored. Um, but they are, and we definitely want um, lots of public um, access and so they can be able to enjoy the site. Um, 
but for the first couple of years, it's important to, you know, tread lightly, uh, so to speak, just because um, as Nan, um, you know, uh, said exactly, you know, it takes a couple of years for these sites to become established. Uh, but um, regardless, the site will be open. I think it's, it's situated in a good location right across from Sanders Park. Um, so, you know, that's good for both, I think, a, a recreation standpoint and a conservation standpoint, just having, you know, two um, conserved areas right next to each other. Um, yeah. And, you know, the site will specifically, you know, it's open for just maybe more the uh, um, less impactful um, outdoor activities, you know, hiking, cross-country skiing, bird watching, uh, that sort of thing. Right. And will it be called something? Will it ever have kind of a fancy name the way uh, <laughs> a typical state park or national park has a name? Or will this simply be the Meacham Road wetland project? Greg, that's an excellent question. And uh, I think it, it should be. It doesn't yet. Right now, it's just the uh, Meacham Road project. But uh, you know, hopefully, I can work with maybe Nan and, and Dave to uh, think of something. There'll definitely be some signage uh, uh, down the road, uh, saying, you know, providing most basic of backgrounds and, and what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe we can come up with a, uh, a clever name. I think that'd be a, a good idea. Right. Maybe the Joshua Brown center for, <laughs> or the Dave Giordano, uh, <laughs> part, <No>. perhaps. Native <laughs> <laughs> flower corner. Well, at any rate, whatever it's called, uh, it's, it's a, a beautiful thing to see in more ways than one. And even though at the moment there's not much to see beyond an empty field, uh, what this represents, of course, is very, very significant. And we hope that it will only heighten the general public's awareness about and appreciation for the importance of, of um, wetlands and the importance of wetland mitigation. Joshua Brown, if people want more information about this project, uh, is there more uh, information available from the Wisconsin DNR? Uh, there certainly is. Um, we have a pretty, we have a great website, I think. And what you could do, you can just Google uh, Wisconsin DNR uh, WWCT. And uh, Greg, I apologize. Um, the name of our in-lufi program in Wisconsin is, is the Wisconsin Wetland Conservation Trust. And I apologize for not bringing that up before. Uh, so you can either Google that, or you can also go to the DNR website, uh, which is dnr.wi.gov and search WWCT. Very good. Uh, Joshua Brown uh, with the Wisconsin DNR, we appreciate you uh, joining us today on the morning show and sharing all of this really interesting information about the important work that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Great. And Dave Giordano, director of Root Pike Wind, I'm glad that you could be part of this as well. Thanks a lot. Always a pleasure. Nan Calvert, uh, I know you want to finish out with a couple of quick announcements. Yes, happily, I do have a couple of quick announcements. Uh, you know, Halloween is almost here and people have been wondering what they're going to do this year. So I have a couple of suggestions for you. Firstly, Hawthorne Hollow is having its haunted trails on Friday, October 30th at 5.30 and then again at 7 p.m. Uh, so these will be uh, sort of controlled crowds. You must wear a mask. Registration is required. $15 for adults, $10 for children. Should be a wonderful time to get out there and have some fun for Halloween and also celebrate and support Hawthorne Hollow. Pringle Nature Center is having a candlelight Halloween hike on October 30th. There will be three sessions for which you can sign up, 6.30, 7 p.m. and 7.30. This is a self-guided, family-friendly hike. 
You must register. It's $5 per person. Wear a mask and you can register online. You are not allowed, however, just to walk in and participate in the Pringle Halloween hike. You must register. And last but certainly not least, the Eco Justice Center is having a second virtual trivia night on October 29th from 7 p.m. till 8.30. It's $10 to register, and registration is required. You can do so online. Just go to the Eco Justice Center's website. You can form teams of two to six people. And I have to tell you, I did the first trivia night, and it was just a blast. I encourage everybody to sign up for it. It's very fun. There aren't any hard sports questions at all for those of us who know <laughs> nothing about sports. <laughs> so, you know, go ahead and participate. It's lots and lots of fun. That's it. Great idea. And Calvert, thank you for that information and thank you for arranging for this really illuminating morning show conversation. Oh, thoroughly my pleasure.